day when we're with Jesus in glory. And we saw last week that the writer of this document, the document uh, of Hebrews, pleads that the reader keeps striving to enter that eternal rest, keep persevering in following Jesus, keep pressing on until that rest that we know and promised is fully realized when we go to be with Jesus. Keep striving, keep going. And then our passage today, it begins with the word for which indicates that whatever follows links with what has just been said before. So to understand our passage, we're going to actually start our reading from verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4. So we're only going to be really focusing in on verses 12 to 13, but we're going to start from verse 11 just to give us a bit of context. So let me just read for us Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give there's a lot in there to unpack and I'm not going to promise that I'll unpack it all this morning but the writer of Hebrews clearly is making the point in verse 11 that we as Christians need to put effort in if we're going to keep ourselves focused on Jesus and not as it says follow the example of disobedience that example of disobedience that the writer is referring to is speaking of israel in the old testament they as a people who had witnessed god's love and his grace and his mighty power through miraculous deeds god had saved them from the strongest empire of the day egypt and was leading them to a place of rest and joy and yet as we read in books like exodus and deuteronomy in the old testament they ultimately responded to god with disobedience and with unbelief. They chose to ignore God and refused his offer of true rest and ultimately they refused to have God as their leader and God as their king. They had seen God do wonderful things for them but continued to live lives their own way with their own agendas. And what the writer is saying in verse 11 is that we too can be prone to this kind of behavior. We too can be prone to this kind of behavior. Even if we've chosen to trust in Jesus and would call ourselves one of his followers, we too can respond to God with apathy, with unbelief, and with disobedience. We too can follow our own agendas if we aren't careful to listen to God when he speaks to us. And so our passage is meant to act as a warning to us to not ignore what God says and not ignore what God sees to not ignore what God says and to not ignore what God sees. It is a reminder to us that nothing is hidden from him. Nothing that we think or say or do is hidden from God. We cannot bluff him. We cannot deceive him. Everything we do morning, afternoon, and evening, he sees. What we do on a Monday morning, what we do on a Saturday night, everything is known. Everything is seen. Let me read for us Psalm 139 to illustrate this point. And it says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become, my, uh, become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If you didn't get what the passage was getting at, it's simply this. There is no way you can go that God won't be. Now, that can be a comfort, and it should be a comfort, but that can also make us tremble. As we look back at our weeks or the last couple of months, it can make us tremble. Now, I, I don't say this to make God out to be a figure who continually wags his finger at us, the God of Scripture is one who is merciful and gracious. He is patient and compassionate towards us. And for those who come to him uh, in humility and reverence, for those who come in repentance and faith, God welcomes and he forgives. We see this, of course, ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ, who was sent for us to die for our sin and bring us into a place of forgiveness and peace with God. So we know that God is merciful. We know that he is gracious. We know that he is loving and compassionate yet the bible also describes god as holy as an all-consuming fire of glory and splendor surrounded by terrifying angelic creatures who can't even look upon him for he is so glorious and he is so awesome and they sing of his holiness and his supremacy a God who said, no one who can see me and live, who cannot bear sin in his presence. This is the same God we call Father. A Father who is love, but must be revered and acknowledged as our supreme creator and sustainer who holds our very lives in his hands. And if we have trusted in Jesus and seek to follow him, if we are part of his body, the church, then his desire for us is that we see sin as he sees sin. And that is quite a high bar. We cannot think that we can live our lives by bluffing God, saying and doing all the right things on a Sunday, but the rest of the week we can do what we want. It doesn't work like that. If you have professed to follow Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he is the Messiah and the Savior of the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by him, our attitude has to be that of a listening and obedient heart. There was a, a book that was written in the 1990s by a man called Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. It's a very famous book. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. And within it, he describes five general ways people receive love in relationships, like receiving gifts or spending meaningful time together. Just so you know, my love language is words of affirmation. So words mean a lot to me. Okay? But I wonder, as I was thinking this week, what would you say God's love language is? What is God's love language? I would argue that God's love language is obedience. 
Jesus said this plainly and simply to his followers. If you love me, keep my commands. Plain and simple. Not easy, but plain and simple. If you love me, keep my commands. If we truly love Jesus, if we seek to follow him and live for him, he should be our top priority first and foremost. We can't have it both ways. We have to choose Jesus or the world, his approval or the world's eternal life or eternal separation and death. That is the choice that is before us all. And earlier on in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer references a verse from the Old Testament, specifically from Psalm 95, and it says this, plain and simply, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so my first question for each of us this morning, and it's as much for uh, for me as it is for you, as we begin to unpack this passage, where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart before God right now? Where is your heart? Are we ready to hear what he has to say to us? The message that was laid on my heart this morning has been tough for me personally. And so this is just as much for me as it is for you. Where is your heart this morning? Are you ready to receive what God wants to say? Our passage, it touches on three things, two of which I'm going to share now and the third I'll mention right at the end. But the two things are incredibly simple. They're not earth-shattering. They're not groundbreaking. Two things. God speaks and God sees. God speaks and God sees. Now, I know this isn't earth-shattering truth, okay? Sometimes I feel like as a Bible teacher, you always feel like you've got to bring something new and fresh and different. I think I'm just here to reinforce what you already know. God speaks and God sees. Firstly then, God speaks. The word of God is the phrase that is used in our passage. For The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now we often use uh, that to mean scripture or the Bible, the word of God, that phrase. You often use it for scripture or the Bible. But the context of this is actually referring to any way God speaks, any form of revelation, any form that God reveals himself, any form of revelation or communication, whether that is through the Bible, which is the chief way that God would communicate, or other ways that he might speak. But verse 12 says that God's words are active and alive. They are sharp. They penetrate and divide and they judge the innermost parts of our thoughts and our motives and our intentions and our attitudes. They slice deep into the very crevice of our lives and open us up to reveal who we are. Is my word not like a fire? Does it not shatter stone? it say in the old testament god's words have power god's words can cut through culture through habits through biases through preconceptions and through doubts to speak into the innermost part of us of who we are god's words have immense power we read in genesis that it was through the mouth of god through the speech or the words of god that spoke the whole of the cosmos into being every star and planet was brought forth by the power of god's speech 
the primary way that God continues to speak to us today is through his written word. Through the scripture or through the Bible, which, which it says in Timothy that it is inspired by God. We hold the very words that God has inspired and breathed out. And it is only through the internalizing of Scripture that we not only know about God better, but we specifically know Him better. And there is a difference. We can know a lot about God, but do we know Him personally and intimately as He speaks to us by His Spirit? Not just know about Him, the facts and the events, but know Him, His character and His attributes and His ways. It is the revelation or the communication of Scripture that should be the foundation of our lives because they are the words that are inspired by God himself. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is God's inspired words and it equips us as servants of God God's word separates truth from error. It trains and builds us up to live for God. It tells us the promises of God and it strengthens our faith and trust in him. Sometimes we feel very ill-equipped. This verse teaches us scripture is there to equip us. We only have to pick it up and read it. Now, I should say, if you want to find out more about scripture or the bible and why is it so essential for us as followers of jesus to not only study and explore but also internalize and feed on why not come out tonight at half past six for the regent bible school I'm not joking do it come out tonight it's so important as we look at a world that is turning its back on the principles of scripture and on the values of god we need to understand as a church that the foundation is of Scripture. We need to understand where the Bible's authority is, the Bible's clarity and its necessity and its sufficiency and its accuracy, because more and more Christians are turning away from that. We have established that God speaks. In the Old Testament, we see that God spoke through his power in creation, through messages and prophets, through miraculous deeds which he did for his people. And God's ultimate form of revelation, his ultimate speaker is his son, who has one of the titles that Jesus has given is the word of God. And then we have seen that scripture is inspired by God and, and through it God's spirit speaks. And so I suppose a question that I simply ask, why does God speak? Why does God communicate? God speaks because he desires for you and me to know him and to experience the life we were created for. He speaks to reveal himself to us. He speaks because his words bring life. He speaks because they change us for the better. God's words are powerful and transformative. Now that doesn't mean God's words are easy. If I only read the bits of the Bible that I found easy, I wouldn't be reading much. God's words aren't easy. Look at that verse again, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. 
All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God speaks through scripture so that we would know him better, but also that we would be equipped to serve him and live for him better as well. And that includes rebuking when required, and that includes discipline when required. That includes cutting off the things in our lives that aren't good for us or cutting back to deepen our growth. Remember what Jesus says uh, in, in John chapter 15 that the, the, the followers of Jesus are like branches of a vine and God is the vine dresser who cuts back the branches to be more fruitful. And sometimes in our lives God reveals to us things that need cutting back, things we need to cut out that are stunting our growth. His words are living, but his words are sharp. They can hurt and be painful, but are necessary and life-giving as they cause us to grow more fruitful. God's words are fatherly discipline as well as words of encouragement and hope. Our passage describes God's words as a double-edged sword, sharp on both sides, right to the tip. It means that it can cut through right to the core of us, even to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, why does it matter that God speaks? Well, if someone is speaking to you, you only have two options, to listen or to ignore. Two options. You listen or you ignore. And so my simple question is to me and to you, what is your attitude when God speaks to you? What is your attitude when God speaks to you? Are we honestly giving time for God to speak? We live such busy lives. Our schedules are stretched. Giving time to stop and be quiet and listen seems so inefficient. But if we are pausing to hear from God, it's the most efficient thing you'll do that day. If you're a Christian, God's spirit lives inside you. How sensitive are we to his leading and how obedient are we when he speaks? We've all been there, I'm sure. You're at school or at college or university or a workplace and someone asks you, how was your weekend? And you sense God say, tell them about me. Tell them what you were doing on Sunday. Tell them about church. And how often do we dismiss that still, small voice? When those moments come, what is our attitude? When we attempted to sin, what is our attitude? When he tells us to wait for something, what is our attitude? When he reveals to us something that we need to cut back on or cut out of our lives, a habit of sin, what is our attitude? When he reveals to us something that we're putting ahead of him, what is our attitude? These are all real questions. They are all real questions that we can ask to help us understand what is our attitude towards God when he communicates with us. And while we're on this topic, and I know this is hard, but I'm going to keep going because I've been wrestling with my own questions on this as well. This is just as, you know, I'm going to keep saying it, this is just as much for me as it is for you. What place do we give to the Bible in our lives in all seriousness? 
if God speaks through Scripture and he reveals himself to us through it, how much time are we giving to it? How much time are we internalizing it? How much time are we feeding on it? In the project that I've been completing recently, I was looking at the history of the Bible. Something that startled me was the fact that for most of the church's history, Christians have not had a Bible accessible to them. It wasn't until the Protestant Reformation and the invention of the printing press in the 1600s that Bibles started to be printed on a mass scale in people's own language. And then around that time, most people couldn't read anyway. So it wasn't in, in England, for example, most people didn't even read until the 18th century. So realistically, Christians in the West at least have only had a Bible accessible to them for just over 300 years. Today, the wealth of access we have to Scripture is enormous. It's insane. Hundreds of versions. Digital Bibles on Kindles and devices. Bible apps galore. We could even have it read aloud to us. And yet, if we're honest, our time with Scripture is squeezed into our already very tight, packed schedules. How much time are we giving to internalizing Scripture? Whether that's reading or studying or meditating or listening or memorizing, whatever it is, is it the bare minimum? The things we give time to identify the things in our lives that we deem important to us. If I look back over my week and totted up the time given to taking in God's words revealed through Scripture, I wonder what it would add up to. What is our attitude to God when he speaks? Are we even trying to seek to hear God? And when we hear, are we seeking to obey? How much time do we give to listening to God? The Bible is a gift, church. The Bible is a gift. You have it in your hands. You have it on your phones. You can listen to it in the car. You probably have five, six, seven different Bibles in your home. How much time? Is it just the bare minimum? Is it just the squeeze? Could we give more? Our second point this morning, God sees now this again, this isn't something that's new to us, okay? God sees. We can all sign up to that. But let's read again verse 13 of our passage this morning, okay? Chapter 13, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, sorry. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God, God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This verse tells us that God can truly see where our heart is. He can see our innermost thoughts and desires. He can see who or what really is the top dog in our lives. And one day we will stand before him and give an account for this. This verse tells us plainly and simply, God cannot be bluffed. The New Testament is clear that God's church, his people must take sin seriously 
whether it's personally or corporately. Let me just read two sections from the New Testament which touch upon the sinful practices that the church needs to guard itself against. And they'll be up on the screen in a moment. There we are. Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you. He's writing to the church here. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We mustn't forget, folks, that these verses were written by Paul, a church leader, to other churches, which implies that these things were going on amongst Christians. What is our own attitude to these behaviors? More deeply, what is my attitude to sin, to habits of sin in my life? Now, there are some in that list we all quickly breeze past. Not seeing, stopping to see the more subtle behaviors that God also detests. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Envy. Selfish ambition. Hatred. Gossip. Greed. It's very easy for us to play the part on a Sunday, but our behavior away from our church family be very different. We cannot bluff God, folks. God cannot be bluffed. He sees the part of our lives we do not allow him access. The doors that we have kept closed to him. The places we go where we leave him behind. The habits we, we have that we don't let him see. Don't let him see. Like how and where we spend our money. How I speak to people. What I do on my weekends, my Friday or Saturday nights. The places I go that perhaps I shouldn't. The things I watch that perhaps I shouldn't. The things I touch or do that I shouldn't. How I treat my husband or my wife or my children. How I treat my parents. How I think or act lustfully after him or after her. The things I put above God or God's people. The things I put above church or its activities. The way I gossip about my brothers and sisters in the church. The way I bluff the tax man or cheat on my expenses. The lies I tell to save face or get out of responsibilities or simply get what I want. The way I use my social media. My attitude to the speed limits. The way I speak about that worship leader or that Bible teacher or that Sunday school helper or that elder. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And it's important that we often review what is my attitude to sin honestly? 
How are we doing in pursuing a holy life? Are we seeing sin as God sees it? Or are we trying to bluff God that we think he doesn't really see how I live? Doesn't really see how I live my life through the week when I'm away from church. He doesn't see how I work. He doesn't see the language I use, how I treat my colleagues or my employees, the texts I send, the emails I send, the Snapchats I send the way I speak to my parents or my spouse or my children, the lies I tell to get by, the conversations I have behind closed doors, the things I look at alone with my laptop or my phone, the way I fiddle the books or steal from those in authority, the way I speak about my bosses or my leaders behind their backs. My question for us this morning is simply this. Are you trying to hide things from God? What are the sins you're engaged in that you need to stop? But you don't know how. You want to stop perhaps, but you don't know how. Well, the first step is to confess it to God. Take a hold of his strength and his grace. Don't forget that Jesus went through all of the same temptations you do, week by week, day by day, and likely more so. He understands all of the battles we face. Take it to God, folks. Take it to God. And then take it to his people. Share it with a brother or sister in the church you know well that they may come alongside you and help you. Several years ago, a guy came to me broken and in tears. And he said, I- I'm addicted to pornography. Please help me. I sat with him and I prayed with him and then he got some accountability software and I met with him regularly and he said that the difference that I could just speak to someone who understood and didn't react in judgment or condemnation but said yeah I, I struggle too let's deal with this let's walk together in this let's be a family and do this together having someone you know who can look out for you who will message you and check up on you, who knows and understands the struggles that you're having, makes such a difference. Accountability to someone you trust makes the strongest difference, but it takes humility, and it takes guts to share. And so please, if you're struggling with sin this morning, please don't fight it alone. Please don't fight it alone. Take it to God and ask for his strength, and take it to God's people who can come around you and support you. We're all going through this. I'm saying all this mostly to me. You're just kind of in the room. I'm saying it mostly to me. Maybe this morning the things you're hiding from God may not just be sin. Maybe worries or insecurities that you have about yourself or your life at the moment. And let me say God wants to meet with you this morning too. Don't hide from him. Bring your concerns and your worries to him, your insecurities. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just hiding yourself from God. A bit like Jonah, just trying to get away from God and hide from him, running from him because you're scared that you aren't good enough or you're scared that he doesn't love you or you're scared that he won't receive you back after what you've done. Scared maybe what he might, call, what he might be calling you into. And simply my message to you this morning is go to him. He is a father 
Like the story of the prodigal, he is a father waiting for you to return. You are not too far gone. Return to him. Go to him. He's waiting to receive you. If you need to do business with God this morning, don't put it off. What are we trying to hide from him? And we've looked at God this morning and we've discussed how he speaks and how he sees. And I thought about ending it there, but I'm adding a third one in. And it's this. God speaks, God sees. God saves. Sometimes we can read passages like this and feel utterly hopeless, utterly broken as we seek to battle sin within ourselves, battling with all manner of temptations, all manner of insecurities and weaknesses and difficulties. And so I want to, no, no, I have to end my passage with the gospel. I have to. I have to end it with Jesus because it's not our own strength or our own ability that will defeat sin because it's already been defeated. And it is in him, in Jesus, that our identities as followers are that we are saints and that we are holy people, not sinners, but saints set apart for him, empowered and strengthened by his Holy Spirit, relying on his love and his mercy and his grace. What our passage teaches us most of all this morning is that we need someone to help us. We need a savior. We need a representative to stand before God for us. And he did come. And his name is Jesus Christ, which is why the next bit, I'm stealing from Andy next week, the next bit of the passage, Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, let us then, church, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God knows your deepest secrets and your darkest moments and he still loves you with an everlasting love. He desires that you would know him and be with him forever. And in his son Jesus, all those deep secrets and dark moments, he took on the cross all of the sin, all of the brokenness, and he buried them in the domain of the dead. And he rose again to give you a new life where sin does not rule you. You are not enslaved to sin, but where you live a forgiven life, a life of purpose that goes on forever. If only we would come to him and acknowledge who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and accept his gift of forgiveness. Have you done that this morning? Have you accepted what Jesus has done for you? Have you accepted his offer of forgiveness? And if you're a Christian this morning, do you need to do that afresh again today? Do you need to rest in his grace, to confess your brokenness, to take hold of the strength he provides to remember your identity as a saint. To ask his spirit to fill you and equip you for this new week. You know, it says in our passage that everything will be laid bare before God in judgment. Well, on the cross, Jesus was laid bare in judgment so that we wouldn't have to be. And if we give our lives to him, we would meet God, not as our judge, but as our friend. Let's just take a moment to reflect. The band are going to come up.
and we're going to sing together. But let's just take a moment to reflect. Where, where are you in all of this this morning? There's a lot in there that we've looked at. Lots of hard truths. Maybe you want to bow your heads or close your eyes. Just take a moment to reflect. Where are you in all of this? Where is your heart before God? What, what has he been saying to you this morning? What are the habits that you just seem to struggle to let go of? Come to him. Have you turned away this week or this month or even this year and you've been hiding from God? Come to him. He waits for you. What are the things that we're putting above God? What is our attitude to his word when he speaks to us? Confess it to him. Come to him. His words, his presence change everything. Father, we simply ask that when you speak, we obey. May our hearts only ever be yours. May you be head of us. May you be the top thing in our lives. We submit now everything before you as we meet with you. Amen.